What's up, patrons? It is me and Canada Mike. Hello, Canada Mike. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm doing great. We're here. We're taking a little break from the last series because last month there was a plenary, a big conference at Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana, where a bunch of Catholics and Catholic thinkers got together and talked about this was the theme of the thing human dignity in the secular age that was that what the conference was about and alistair mcintyre gave one of the standout lectures of this event apparently we watched it we wanted to do an episode on it because we've talked about dignity so many times on the show and because you patrons hung in there with us while we did like 90 percent of mcintyre's book so mike and i thought that this would be a really great opportunity to sort of kick the tires on what we mean when we talk about dignity, maybe do some self-critique, and also to better understand McIntyre himself and why he might be useful for us as a thinker today. Yeah, I think it's it'll be cool as well just to see McIntyre in his, you know, fully mature, highest power level Catholic. Fully Thomistic. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. McIntyre. Yeah. Not like I've been thinking about them thomas yeah <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in 1981 yeah 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 which you know like i i mean after virtue is is the book that i'm most familiar with you know and i have some of his later books which i've i've read parts of which i i felt were like de definitely becoming catholic has made his arguments more specific and forceful i think and specifically a thomist yeah yeah i think so too I mean, he, he was in search of a framework in After Virtue, and that's yeah. really what that whole book is about. And what was fascinating to me about this lecture was the way in which it blew up the entire premise of the conference he was at. Yeah. And I mean, I wish they had done printouts of it so that I could read it because it was very elegant and how he structured it. I, w I watched it twice, took notes the second time, and I was very in awe of his ability to thoughtfully preempt counter arguments and move through them and lay out his case. And his case is calling into question the idea of human dignity whatsoever. I think he calls it something like a puzzling, what is it? A puzzling or dangerous concept like, is yeah, the way he talks about it. Impossibly dangerous. Impossibly dangerous. Yeah. So he starts autobiographically by talking about how when he was a young boy, certainly people taught him to treat others with respect, but no one brought, ever brought up this idea of human dignity. He mentions that the Irish constitution of 1936, I believe, mentions human dignity explicitly. And that's something he returns to later in the lecture. But what he really wants to take a look at is when did this become something in our parlance. It is not part of the Abrahamic tradition, nor is it part of the Greeks. And the only time in which it arises amongst the Romans is in On Friendship by Cicero. So in a more social rather than political context. Yeah, I think, you know, there's one particular kind of unspoken point here where he says that the first time that he kind of started to hear this was in the immediate 
post-war period, right? So like 44 and 45 is where this starts to show up. He says, you know, you have the UN Charter in 45, Bavaria and some other land in the UN Declaration of Human Rights, 1949 German Federal Basic Law. So, I mean, a lot of stuff that was basically just concerned with the war, right? And and the atrocities that come out of it. I yeah. mean, it's hard to fully appreciate the extent to which World War II was a sequel to World War One which everyone thought was going to be the last war ever like that. Right. And World War II managed to outdo it in terms of barbarity in several degrees. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so he, he doesn't make that specific, but it seems pretty clear that that's at least the, the initial historical watershed for this. Right. And he points out that if you take a look at that Declaration of Human Rights, if you take a look at just this conversation generally, it is obviously a response to those horrors and those atrocities. And everyone feels the need to agree that nothing like that should ever happen again. And so they want to come up with some political ideas and ideals that will create normative claims against that type of behavior, torture, genocide, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is, is that no one really knows what would grant those things authority, either philosophically or even materially. That's its own problem. Right? And these aren't necessarily two sets of problems on different tracks. I think McIntyre would see them as part of a Venn diagram of problems. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he's explicit that, you know, there's no legal enforcement mechanisms for most of these sort of constitutionalist approaches and uh, that there Mm -hmm. are no philosophically, you know, advanced articulations of a defense of these concepts. Right. And that Mm -hmm. the first ones don't really appear until 30 years later. And many of the, you know, more advanced philosophical accounts that appear later on would be disagreed with by the drafters of the constitutions mm-hmm. that you know the sort of later liberal philosophers are defending. So it's not even clear that you know even though the gaps kind of got filled in later that these people even had the same concerns or would have agreed in any way. Right. And importantly historically though he doesn't mention this the United States of course becomes the global hegemon over the course of this. One could say that the Soviet Union stood opposed to the US and in practical fact, they would be right. In material reality, they would be wrong. The Soviets were never the threat that the Americans allegedly feared them to be. Right. So where does that leave us when we're taking a look at this or when McIntyre's taking a look at this? Well, he has a few things to say. You know, I mean, he's basically like, what were they trying to agree on, these drafters of these documents? And he was like, this was a rhetorical agreement between groups that did not agree. Right. Exactly. Right. Like, And that's why there's no enforcement mechanism. That's why there's no account of or philosophical. Yeah. Like, it's, an, it's, it's an understandable but incoherent response right. to very real problems is what I took from McIntyre and also what I believe <laughs> yeah, of, totally. of this, <laughs> apparently. So, okay, he wants to go, uh, typical of McIntyre, he wants to pivot to more ancient understanding of these things or an older understanding of these things. He wants to look 
for a tradition that might suggest a sturdier, more coherent framework for doing this. And unsurprisingly, Thomas Aquinas, especially through Charles de Koenig, I think is the thinker that he pulls from, who's riffing off of Aquinas. He goes to him for the conception of dignitas, which he uses throughout the lecture to distinguish that from the secular notion of human dignity. And luckily for us, Patrick Deneen over at the, this is how I found out about this, over at the post-liberal order substack wrote so-so summary of this lecture. He did it at the conference itself, so he can be forgiven for that. But he does lay out the four things, the four elements of dignitas that Aquinas offers. And it, number one is the human end or telos is distinct, and that is to know and love God. I'm reading directly from the Substack thing. I'll put that link in the show notes for this. Uh, two, in directing humans towards that end, many other goods are necessarily involved and included, reflecting a blo- broader ordering of a good political and social order. Three, it is in our power and our responsibility to direct our choices. And four, if we fail in that task, we lose our worth or dignity. Which has nothing to do with respect, just to preempt that kind of idea exactly. that people might have. Like, we're not saying, or, you know, Aquinas, Charles de Koenig's account of Aquinas is not saying mm-hmm. necessarily that, like, you disrespect someone who does not have dignity because they've lost sight of their end and they're solely pursuing, you know, they're grazing like cattle on the earth, right? And they're, they've left their their human talos, right? That's, that's not it. It's just their dignity is something that is related to the end. And it's between the human and the end. And it's not for us to, to judge, right? Right. So then someone might respond, well, then what about these horrible things that happen? How would we prevent those? To which McIntyre responds, these are not the conceptions you are looking for. You are right. What you are looking for is what we used to call justice, (laughs) which is one of those hiding in plain sight things that you could sense in, in reading it and the way in which people responded to this lecture and the way in which I responded to that moment was sort of like a gotcha moment. I, I mean, I don't really know, <clears throat> you know, I, I assume the, the audience was mostly people who were like fairly familiar with, with theology, right? For me, yeah, I, largely Catholic audience and, and not just culturally Catholic, like intentional yeah, and like theological I, yeah, commitments. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, 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 I mean, to me, it felt entirely uncontroversial just as a, as a Muslim looking in from the outside. But I, sure. you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Like, I, I mean, it's, certainly for me, it was a reminder when he mentions, and like, I think several times it's prudence, charity, and justice yes. in that order. Right. So I thought, I thought that was, that was interesting as well. Cause he, he does mention justice alone. But there's uh, there's the, these three classic virtues, 